Good morning. Or I could say, Shinni and Kwaile. Anyone? Getting a little bit of feedback. I'm going to wait till that's resolved. Should I stop breathing? Shinni and Kwaile is Mandarin for Happy New Year, and today is Chinese New Year's, so Happy New Year. Last week, we started... a new sermon series on Sabbath. And we learned, if we didn't know it before, that we get our English word Sabbath from the Hebrew Shabbat, which literally means to stop, which I'm going to do now. So because Hebrew is one of those guttural languages that's fun to say, let, why don't we say it together? Shabbat. Shabbat. Wasn't that fun? So this word Sabbath, which you don't hear a lot in our culture, we get it from a Hebrew word, which means to stop. One dictionary gave, the definition of, gave this definition of Sabbath. It called it a day of religious observance and abstinence, from work, which is kept by Jews from Friday evening to Saturday evening, and by most Christians on Sunday. Maybe historically that was true. We talked about that last week a little bit. But I prefer this as a definition of Sabbath, and it comes from Tim Keller. He says that the purpose of Sabbath is not simply to rejuvenate yourself yourself, excuse me, in order to become more productive, nor is it the pursuit of pleasure. The purpose of Sabbath is to enjoy God, enjoy life in general, and enjoy what you've accomplished in the world through his help, and enjoy the freedom you have in the gospel, the freedom from slavery to any material object or human expectation. The Sabbath is a sign of hope, of the hope we have in the world to come. But as I reflected a little bit more on that definition this week, and there's a lot in there we have talked about and could talk more about, I thought to myself, do we see God as wanting us to enjoy things first and foremost? Because if you have a picture of God that, that does not view him as wanting us to experience joy, or if your experience of life with God is not one of freedom, then I think you're going to have a hard time receiving Sabbath as good news. So last week we looked at the origins of Sabbath in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis at creation, and also in the Ten Commandments where Sabbath becomes a a command, a directive, in Numbers and Deuteronomy. And then we looked into the New Testament, we heard Jesus say that he is Lord of the Sabbath, that Sabbath was made for our good, not us for the Sabbath. We weren't made to have to fit into, to have to be constrained by the Sabbath. So today we're going to consider discipleship and Sabbath, because I think it's really easy for some of us to hear about Sabbath and to think it's something else we have to do. 
But discipleship isn't primarily about doing things for God. Discipleship is about being in relationship with God. And Jesus says, as an invitation to be his disciple, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. So is that how you picture God? Many of us, I hear stories from you, many of us are feeling overloaded, overwhelmed, stressed out, weary, and tired these days. We're restless. The best word for it as a whole culture might be malaise, which is from French, French for bad ease. It means it's a feeling of general discomfort, fatigue, dissatisfaction, a lack of well-being for no obvious reason necessarily. And we're spiritually restless as well. I think that's at the root of all this. But rest is definitely what we need. And as Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus invites us to follow him and to be his disciples. Not to make us busy, not to weigh us down with new lists of things we have to do. In the Gospel according to Matthew, he uses the words, Come to me to call his disciples. And he says that twice in the entire gospel. And we're going to look at both times where he says it. The first one is in Matthew 4, and then the second time it's in Matthew 11. Let's pray before we open scripture. Dear God, we ask you to come among us now in a particular way. As we worship you, as we've been doing that, and now as we listen for your encouragement, for your truth, for your correction, for your hope, I pray that we would receive an abundance of goodness from you, Holy Spirit. So give us reminders of who you are today through your word. Amen. So first we'll be reading from the fourth chapter of the gospel according to Matthew, which is Matthew's story of Jesus, right? Verses 17 to 22. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And then in chapter 11 of Matthew, verses 28 to 30, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I was driving on the 401 yesterday, as sometimes you have to. 
and people were whipping along at 130, 140, 150 even. They were weaving in and out of lanes. And then, in a flash, it all stopped. Sabbath rest came <laughs> to the highway instantly. And it wasn't divine intervention. It wasn't that kind of a flash. There were flashing lights appearing behind us. A police cruiser was suddenly bearing down on us. Judgment day was coming for some of us more than others. And so everyone slowed down to 100 kilometers an hour. It was like this blanket of peace had descended upon the 401. We were all going the speed limit in unison. We were all so calm, so well-behaved. But you know, the transformation of that stretch of the 401 that happened in that moment into a utopian paradise of law-abiding citizens was only due to the arrival of an authority figure. The police officer came and then went. And it all went back to being crazy, busy, normal again. So is that how we picture God? an authority figure for whom we must do things once in a while, in public or in here, but most of the time, we're doing our own thing. I once saw someone wearing a t-shirt with the words, Jesus is coming, look busy. <laughs> that slogan very effectively makes fun of our wrong ideas about Christian faith, as if Jesus had said, behold, I stand at the door and knock, it's time for your performance review. Is that how we think of Jesus, as a demanding taskmaster for whom we have to be or appear to be on our best behavior? People were always asking Jesus, what must I do? I think that's human nature, right? We want to do things. People wanted Jesus to give them the secret to eternal life. They wanted a list that they could check off the boxes on. They wanted a program. But Jesus does not work that way. He doesn't start by giving us a job to do. Rather, first, he calls us to be someone rather than to do something. We want to know what we should do. That would actually be easier. But Jesus says, come to me and find out who you truly are. He invites us into the most life-giving relationship you could ever imagine. In Matthew 14 and 11, we learn about the kind of discipleship that Jesus has in mind, and at which, at the core of which, is rest. First of all, it's discipleship that's based on the kingdom, kingdom proclamation of Jesus. Secondly, it's lived out as we are chosen by him and called to follow him. And third, it leads to this rest that we're talking about, this Sabbath rest. It leads to us resting in Jesus. So Jesus starts by saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Well, what does that mean? And we have associations, perhaps, with this word repent. Well, first of all, he's saying here, he's not, what he's not saying here is that if you repent, then the kingdom of heaven will come. This is not about us. Rather, he's saying the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's happening with or without you. 
but you need to repent to really experience it and to get into alignment with it. And to repent, whatever associations we might have with that word, simply means to change your mind or to turn around. So what is the kingdom of heaven? Well, the Bible fills us in. Scripture begins with a picture of life on earth as it is in heaven. You can read that in Genesis 1, Genesis 2. But then the next chapter tells the story of how we lost the true paradise that God created for us to enjoy. God made the world to be good, and there was nothing wrong with it. How? Well, because God ruled, and we were in complete accord with him. That's the picture we get in the first two chapters of Genesis. And that's the same kingdom of heaven Jesus came to tell us about. The kingdom of heaven is the renewing, healing reality of God's sovereign power and presence in our lives and in the world. When God rules within us and beyond us, there is a perfect harmony that reflects heaven. When I was in my early 20s, I got to drive a Porsche 911 Turbo one time. This is a newer one. Now, I'm not really a car guy. I had a Toyota Echo for 15 years. But I have to say, driving that Porsche was a religious experience. <laughs> so let's, let's engage in some imaginative work here. Imagine with me a beautiful car. It could be any car. Imagine with me a beautiful car, you see it rolling down the street, you are admiring it, but uh-oh, there is a five-year-old driving it. What do you think will happen next? And forget about self-driving technology, okay? Yeah. <laughs> What's going to happen with a five-year-old at the wheel of this car? Well, mostly bad things are going to happen. Things like chaos, disorder, and disintegration. There's nothing wrong with the car, but it wasn't designed to be driven by a five-year-old. You need someone else in the driver's seat. That's a picture of our lives. Your life is a wonderful gift, but it was made to not have you in the driver's seat. You were designed to serve and worship God, and when you don't, things will fall apart. Take the example of forgiveness. The Bible tells you to forgive someone even when they have wronged you. That's really hard to do. Why? Why is it so hard to forgive someone who has wronged you? Because you want to be in the driver's seat of the car of your life. That's basically what sin is. You in the driver's seat. It feels more natural for you to be there. It's easier. It's easier to be angry, to be resentful towards someone who hurts you. But that leads to disintegration. That leads away from the peace, the shalom, the wholeness that God created us to enjoy. 
Research tells us that anger is bad for your physical health as well as the insight we have that anger is bad for your emotions and your, your soul. Actual scientific research indicates that anger leads to bodily disintegration, to health problems. It also hurts your relationships. Any good therapist would tell you that if you're angry at someone who's important in your life, either past or present, it's going to seep out into all your relationships, and you will apply that anger to others. So is the kingdom of heaven coming in your life? Well, if you don't obey the king, if you hold on to that anger, that grudge against someone, you're a lot like that five-year-old in the driver's seat. When God rules the world that he created, when he rules in our lives, we repent and we receive renewal and healing rather than this disintegration that happens when we try to take control. One more thing about the kingdom of heaven that, that we learn here from Matthew 4. It's coming near, Jesus says. It's near, but it has not yet arrived, not fully. And we live in that tension. If you've been around Courtright for a while, you'll have heard us talk about already and not yet. And we don't do that to lower expectations. We want to have the highest possible expectations of what the Holy Spirit is going to do among us. But it's coming. It has not fully come. Jesus is the kingdom, is the king rather, who comes twice into the world. First, Jesus comes to suffer and to die at the cross, and then at the end of time, he will return in power to judge and to rule, to establish justice, to make things right. And we always say this at communion. We sum up the mystery of our faith. We say Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. So the next thing that happens in this passage in Matthew 4 is that Jesus calls his first disciples by saying, come and follow me. Now this is weird, actually. Jesus was going about this all wrong. If you wanted a rabbi, if you wanted a teacher, you had to go and sit at their feet. That's how it worked back then. Then the rabbi would examine you. But these fishermen would never have passed the test. They were not ready. They didn't have the education. Their resumes were entirely inadequate. Except Jesus doesn't wait for them to come to him. He goes to them. He takes the initiative to call them. And so one point that arises from Jesus' interaction here with these men is that he does not choose the best and the brightest. Jesus chooses the willing. Are you willing? God wants to use you in your relationships, in your workplace, in your classes, in your residence, in your retirement. Have you made yourself available? Do you ask God every morning, what do you want me to do today? How are you going to use me today? Because Sabbath is not doing nothing. No, Sabbath helps us pay attention to what God is doing and to the new thing the Holy Spirit has for you today. The second thing that we see 
in the way Jesus interacts with these new disciples of his is that Jesus chose us. We did not choose him. Jesus says to the disciples later in John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. I know some of you are struggling right now in some pretty significant ways. You're struggling in your family. You're struggling with a relationship. You're struggling in your job, in your career, in your studies. Maybe you're struggling as a parent or in your marriage. Believe what Jesus says here. He chose you. You may not trust yourself. You may not trust your own ability to overcome the challenges you're facing right now. But you can trust the promise Jesus makes to stay with you through all of it and to make a way where maybe right now there does not seem to be any way possible. Many of you are not doubting Jesus. You're doubting his promise to work through you. You're doubting that this fruit he talks about in John 15 will ever come. But when Jesus chose you, he had a plan. And when you feel like your life is falling apart, the plan remains. Jesus is still with you. The third thing that I think we can learn from Matthew 4 is that our primary call, the first thing is to be with Jesus, simply to be with him. He says, in verse 19, he says, follow me. He didn't tell them where they were going. He didn't tell them the role he had for them. His primary call, again, is not to do something. It's to become like him. And to become more like Jesus, you have to know him. You have to know his word. What really makes us disciples? It's the words of Jesus. He says, come and follow me, and they do. These are not just words that remain in our head. These are words that we live out. Are we listening to Jesus? Have you heard the call of Jesus in your life recently, today? And the way we do this is by reading God's word, by praying with others, by wrestling through the circumstances of our life, by asking the Holy Spirit to tell us to show us what Jesus has for us. And I'm convinced that if you pay attention, prayerful attention to God's word in scripture, if you're willing to repent, to change your mind, to turn around, God will renew you, will heal you, and will guide you in ways that will astound you this new year. That's where following Jesus leads. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. And if that's something you're interested in finding out more about, you could talk to me after the service. You could talk to Allison Pinches, our director of discipleship. She'll be back from some time off this week on Tuesday. I think sometimes we have this idea of discipleship that it means doing things like service and mission. Maybe that's why we neglect Sabbath. Sabbath just doesn't seem legitimate somehow. And yes, Jesus asks his disciples here to leave everything for him, their boat, their family, Yes, he calls us to be fishers of men, to be fruitful, to multiply. And yes, there's a cost to that. But as we see later in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 11, 
Jesus goes on to define discipleship as rest. He invites those who are weary and burdened, not those who have it all together, not those who are in control of their life. He invites those who are struggling to come to him. And we sang this earlier, right? We sang, Lord, I need you. That is the beginning of encountering God. That's where every disciple has to start their journey. Jesus offers us rest, but it's not a rest we expected. There's this funny thing, this yoke. A yoke is something you put on a beast of burden. A yoke attaches you to a burden. So Jesus does not say, come to me and believe in me, and I will make all of your problems go away. He says, you have to yoke yourself to me. You need to give up your right to the life you want and let me rule completely in your life. And then, and only then, will you find rest for your soul. And that is so shocking for us because in our culture, everything says you have to be the master of your own destiny. No one has the right to tell you how to live. It's up to you to make those decisions. But Jesus says that's the whole problem. You're already burdened. You're already restless. You are already yoked to something, but maybe you just don't see it. If you come from a religious background, maybe you're yoked to being a good person. You go to church, you help people. That's your image of yourself. When I lived in China, I had friends who were burdened by what their parents wanted them to do. And if you're from a traditional culture, maybe you're yoked to meeting your family's expectations. In Western secular culture, we're often yoked to our accomplishments what you've achieved, how much money you have, the pictures you could post on social media. Whatever you are yoked to, whatever you're striving for, I can tell you this, it will crush you. It will exhaust you. You might think you're in charge of your own life, but you are actually being driven by something or someone else until you meet Jesus. Jesus, who says, take my yoke, it is completely different. I am the only master who, if you yoke yourself to me, I will forgive you when you fail, and I will satisfy you when you embrace me. I'm the only one like that. The only way to be truly free, Jesus says to us, is to let me be your master, because otherwise... Whatever it is you're striving for will consume you. The Holy Spirit wants to come into your life and flood it with freedom. But that will only happen to the degree that you put Jesus in the driver's seat, to the degree you come under his ruling power. Only then will the chaos and confusion in your soul start to settle. Only then will you start to heal. That doesn't come overnight. We're on that journey together as a congregation, aren't we? But that is the rest that Jesus offers. That is his promise. He went to the cross so that we could be at peace. He cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did not rest in peace. 
At the cross, Jesus experienced the opposite of rest and freedom. He took all the weight of our sin, our self-centeredness, our rebellion, all the evil in the world on himself. His father abandoned him because he took the penalty that we deserved. So now he can say to us, come to me. I took all your restlessness and I can give you rest. I'm the only one who can give you the deep rest you really need. From the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. What he's actually saying is, I've done it. I've done it completely. He's saying, I've done everything necessary to bring you into the arms of my Father. Jesus said, I've done all the striving that was needed, and you can stop. That is the good news of the kingdom of heaven. The world says, you have to finish the work. You have to earn it. It's up to you. But the gospel says, you only have to receive what is already finished. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are already weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And I love how Eugene Peterson puts this in his paraphrase of Matthew 11 in the message. He writes, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. Doesn't that sound good? These unforced rhythms of grace require effort, though. And so last week, I introduced five areas of Sabbath that I was hoping that we could get a conversation going as a community here right. And I think the slide's going to go up with those because I don't remember what they are right now. Um, make Sunday worship a weekly commitment. Do not work on your Sabbath. Enjoy recreation. Enjoy devotion. Serve others. So I asked you to share with me some of your stories, some of your practices, and I was not overwhelmed by your response. <laughs> and so I thought, I'm not Oprah. I cannot give away a car. But I have good books. And actually, one of those areas, we talked about enjoying devotion as reading good Christian books. And I don't know if you're in that habit, but um, if you're not, maybe a free book will motivate you. But here's the catch. I'm not going to give you any of these books unless you email me and tell me, how are you doing this? I'm not going to grade your responses. I'll randomly pick from whoever emails me. Maybe it's something you'd like to do. Maybe you're realizing, okay, I really haven't thought about Sabbath. I don't know how to do this. I've never done this. Maybe you have. I got a really wonderful email from someone who's wrestled with Sabbath and the tension of taking on Sabbath practices, but that can actually stress you out even more. 
Whatever the case, I'd love to hear how you are learning from this series, I hope, and how you are growing into the practice of Sabbath. And last week, I referred to this book by Andy Crouch, The TechWise Family. And so if you are part of a family here at Corrate, if you have kids of any age, and you're willing to share with me some stories of how you have practiced Sabbath or how you would like to, you might get this book for free. <laughs> I feel like I should run around going, free Christian books, free Christian books. No, I'm not going to. The second book I have is more, maybe more suitable for young adults, teenagers, people who are figuring out their lives. What are you going to do with your life, right? That's what people ask you at that age. It's horrible, I know, but I've done it, I'm afraid. This book by Gordon T. Smith, Courage and Calling, Embracing Your God-Given Potential, is good for someone from any age group, but it's particularly relevant. I've given away 100 copies at least over the years to, to people in high school and university and beyond. Um, so if you're in that age bracket and you want to share a story with me about Sabbath, you could get a free book. Finally, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction by Eugene Peterson, the guy who wrote, didn't write the Bible, that's the, that's the joke, the guy who came up with the paraphrase we call the message. This is a book uh, of reflection on the Psalms of Ascent, a series of Psalms in the book of Psalms called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And actually, one of our young adults has been studying this book. But if you're maybe not a young adult and you're interested in this book, you could get it if you're willing to share with me something you do to practice Sabbath. Maybe this is something new to you in middle age or in retirement. Um, how would you like to see this play out in your life? How could you imagine doing things that bring joy into your life? setting aside a day of the week to not be busy. So there you go, free books. We'll see if I get more emails this week. Did someone say amen very quietly? <laughs> Let me pray for us. Dear God, we thank you that you are always sending uh, your Holy Spirit among us to nurture this unburdened creativity that you want us to receive from you. And so I pray that you would give us ideas as a community for how both individually but also together we might be able to develop these unforced rhythms of grace at Court Wright. Um, coming out of the pandemic, we're, we're still, I think, reeling from that. We're weary for lots of reasons. Um, would you show us the path that leads to your peace in this way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.